0: In the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, and now here's
1: Gene Steinberg. So, as we all know, Chris O'Brien moved to New York State, someplace on a mountaintop, which is connected by dimensional portal to Tennessee. So we can say he lives on a mountaintop. No, it, it, that's ridiculous. No, it actually overlooks Pennsylvania. And he doesn't have internet yet. So he's off the air. We've seen him in the forums because you can do that from your iPhone. So he's there, but until he gets the Internet sorted out, he can't be back on the show, unfortunately. Maybe by telephone we'll have him come on. In any case, Jay Randall Murphy, known as usual suspect in our forums, is here to co-host, and our special guest is the one, the only, red pill junkie.
2: Hiya folks, delighted to be back at the podcast.
1: And we're just delighted to have you on. I realize it was short notice, but I'll tell you what guests we are working on, too. And we all know who this guy is, and I still don't know that he's actually going to come on. But we got close today and we're hopeful for next week. Rick Doty. Ho <laughs> ho. <laughs> mm-hmm. dun,
3: dun, dun.
1: <laughs> I don't have to say anything. Listen to this. I just say a name and these two. What
4: Was he the Falcon or something? Or which one was he anyway?
1: I forget at the moment.
2: But sometimes he impersonated the Falcon, but the Falcon was another guy, a guy on top of him.
1: What's funny about this is when I think of Falcon, I don't think of some kind of wacky character in the UFO field. I think of a literary character.
5: Hmm.
2: Which one?
1: There were radio and TV shows featuring the Falcon. Okay. I mean, there have been several Falcons. Okay? Mm-hmm. The original one, I think, was from the 1940s. A freelance adventurer and troubleshooter. And they wrote a bunch of novels. George Sanders an actor known in the 40s, 30s and 40s, played the Falcon.
6: And it's yeah,
4: like a really common name. Right. For, for that sort of thing.
1: Right. And since I grew up with radio, not that old, of course, but since I grew up with radio, I thought of that before I thought of the bird or the connection. Now, Rick Doty, I will tell you that he's not been easy to get to come on. Mm-hmm. And we only have to see who will pair him with, you know, because we want to get an accurate picture of what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. That should be good. I mean,
4: yeah. he's all about disinformation and, and uh, sleight of hand and making people think one thing when it's really something different. Yeah. I mean, okay. So here we go. Yeah. He was here. According to, to this, he was uh, acted as the Falcon to protect the identity of the real Falcon reported to be a special agent in the air force, So, um, and he was in there in this, that's part of that whole aviary thing that was going on with Bill Moore and Shandera and Friedman.
7: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So, yeah, that could be an interesting show, Gene. Well, we're going to see. Now, I asked Greg Bishop if he'd come on, but Greg says (laughs) Dodie doesn't like him. So, I don't think. What about Friedman? Stanton Friedman?
4: Yeah, because he's part of this whole aviary thing. That might be an interesting discussion.
1: Well, you know, folks. Here's what's going to happen: we may or may not have Rick Doty on next week's episode, but we'll find somebody suitable. I hope to pair Grant him Cameron. with. Pardon?
2: Grant Cameron could also be a, a suitable guest.
8: To you know,
4: definitely, yeah, he'd be the guy to get in there because uh, well, actually, that's the page I'm looking at right now. It was actually written by Grant Cameron, so he's got some background knowledge of that whole thing.
1: All right. Before we go on, I wanted to bring up something. I've sent you both copies of this press release. And the headline is from someone named Rob Wheat, who I assume is a PR agent. Entrepreneurs crowdfund international extraterrestrial exhibit. And okay, all right. You know, everybody has something. And when, what does it say, when a boarding pass for life. Now, the people who were supposedly involved here, someone named Michael Zwicky and Gary Lane and Red Pill Junkie doesn't know who they are. I don't know who they are. Do you, Randall? No, I I don't know who
4: these people are. And uh, I'm not as much a walking trivia book as to all of these people either as uh, some of the other kind of experts out there. But, you know, this looks like a, yeah, it looks like a crowdfunding campaign to do something kind of fun with this UFOlogy exhibit,
1: I guess. Also, if they're so experienced with this, why they only need $40,000. Yeah. It's as if, you know, with small pie that these people don't really have any substantial experience in UFO field although they claim to have more than 70 combined years in the entertainment business but they can't raise $40,000 yes yeah. something's
2: wow. fishy it's it sounds uh, it remi- you know what reminds me this of uh the guy who used to drive around with his fake bigfoot corpse <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't remember his name.
1: <laughs> no, it's something that's escaped my attention, and that's probably a good thing.
2: In fact, you know, I'm, I'm trying to log into their Indiegogo campaign and, and I don't know, it, it doesn't appear.
1: I guess that campaign is over before it started.
2: <laughs> it's been abducted.
1: There's so much going on out there that's
4: related to ufology. It's just a cultural phenomenon, and there's no possible way for people to be able to keep track of the whole thing. So, you know, we're always going to be able to find someone who's in it just having fun with it. Other people are, are making fun of it. Other people who are taking it seriously. And that's why it'll never be a science. It's, it, it's a cultural phenomenon. It doesn't fit into the confines of the scientific method, but it's still a really interesting and uh I was pr- I was proposing on the forums fairly recently that instead of trying to keep pushing it as science, we should maybe look at it from uh, the point of view of the humanities, mm. where it's a, it's a much wider realm that takes in all sorts of things. You, know, you can start with ufology at the top, and and you can go into ufology studies on one side for the more serious part, and the ufology culture on the other side, and uh, the culture side gets right down into the arts and the entertainment and. You know, the all kinds of stuff, the philosophy and the ufology studies that gets into the field work. So maybe a different approach. What do you think of that? Well, yeah, I see th- I
2: see, uh, uh, I see the, the logic in that, Randall. I mean, right now it, it seems that ufology seems to be closer to the social sciences like anthropology and psychology than the quote unquote hard sciences like uh, mathematics, uh, chemistry, and and physics. Yet, on the other hand, uh, we can look back at uh, the things that have been going on on those social sciences that I've just mentioned, for example, psychology, and see how, uh, you know, there was a time when, you know, there were all sorts of Theories, you know, like the ones proposed by the likes of uh, Carl Jung or Freud. And they were kind of like uh, you either bought into them or you didn't, but kind of like you, they, there wasn't a way to test them. But then came, you know, a revolution in psychology, kind of like in the 70s, in which uh, these young uh, uh, academicians wanted to test. You know all these theories. You know, so psychology is in- entered into uh, a stage of, of, of uh, experimental psychology.
1: Guys, let's continue in our next segment. Sure. All right, Jay Randall Murphy is our guest co-host. Chris O'Brien doesn't have internet. Red Pill Junkie is our guest. More to come. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> You go to store.ThePowercast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour.
9: Are you happy washing your hands with harsh chemicals? Are you happy doing laundry with detergents? Are you happy paying high prices? Find your happiness with Pure Soap. These all-natural, earth-friendly Pure Soaps are the very best you've ever used. Buy in bulk. Get a 12, 36, or 48-month supply. Or get items individually and still save big. You're getting soap products twice as good as what you're using now. Earth-friendly and natural soaps. Your family deserves the best. Happiness is 5starsoap.com. Why not put your money up the drain for a change?
11: I tried other brands. But I came back to my sunshine.
10: For the best hot or cold pain relief, get the
12: best. Get a Sunny Bay heating pad.
13: Sometimes life can be a pain in the neck or back or shoulder.
12: And the best relief for that pain is a Sunny Bay heating pad. Did you know that the American College of Physicians said that one of the best ways to treat muscle pain is heat therapy? Sunny Bay heating pads are handmade with high quality, can be used at home or at work, and have a lifetime 100% positive rating on both Amazon and Etsy.
11: Why take another pill?
12: Many people use our Sunny Bay heating pads alone and got rid of the neck pain.
11: Long distance travel or long hours in front of a computer can take its toll on your body. See
12: why our homegrown small business at Sunny-Bay.com has tried to help people just like you. Get your Sunny Bay heating pads at Sunny-Bay.com. That's Sunny-Bay.com or call 253-678-1361.
3: For hot and cold therapy, Sunny-Bay.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Just want to remind you, we have that second radio show called After the Paracast, where you never know what's going to happen next. And guess what? I don't either. I'm always surprised and quite often amazed what we put together for that show. It's available only to subscribers of the PowerCast Plus. We also give you a version of this show that will satisfy people on YouTube who cannot handle normal radio commercials. We give you a version free of the network ads. All this if you subscribe to the PowerCast Plus for more info. Go to plus.thepowercast.com. Plus dot. theParacast.com. So we're looking at the UFO field as a cultural phenomenon as opposed to scientific, but then we're all begging, or at least a lot of people in the UFO field, are begging for the UFO phenomenon to be considered seriously by scientists, and these are the people who believe UFOs are spaceships. So if that's the wrong science, isn't that interesting?
4: I think it's more important that... We focus on gaining respect for the field from an academic perspective as opposed to a strictly scientific perspective. Within academia, the sciences are certainly one faculty, but we also have the humanities, which takes in a wide range of disciplines and studies that is much more suited to what ufology is about in a real sense today. Uh, it's no longer simply about investigating sightings and trying to get evidence that can be scientifically examined. It's everywhere. And it's fascinating to study how it's impacted modern culture.
2: Regarding uh, the phenomenon being taken seriously by the academics, I think that's the case. You know, I think that more acad- academicians than we believe actually take this uh, phenomenon very seriously. Only they are not maybe brave enough to actually go out in public and state the state interest because of, of the way that academia uh, handles itself. You know, there's if you, for example, don't have tenure, you know, are into this pressure of going into this cycle of publish or perish, and you're tra- trying to get grants, the least thing you want to do is kind of like uh, show yourself as this maverick, you know, or this iconoclast who goes into topics that are yet frowned upon by mainstream society. And yet this mockery that we used to witness in, main- in mainstream media, well, you know, we have to admit it, it's, it's starting to slowly erode. You know, as much as I will hate to admit it, but that New York Times article of last year of started to, to make a, a, an interesting ripple effect in mainstream media. And as a result of that, some academicians who used to mock the phenomenon are started to, to think that maybe this is something that they could you know look into it. For example, Greg Bishop last year interviewed Diana Walsh Pasulka, who is an academician. I think she is involved in, in comparative studies of religion, I don't remember in which university, but his, her upcoming book, American Cosmic, is going to be published by, I think, uh, Oxford University Press. Anyway, uh, she told this anecdote of one of her colleagues who used to tease her and, and, and mock her because she was interested in the UFOs. And after the New York Times article was published, she received a call from this same guy asking her if she will be interested in joining him in some kind of, like, uh, study or trying to gra- create some kind of, like, uh, academic group to try to go into getting into the study of UFOs. <laughs> and, and she amusingly said, get lost, you know, like, <laughs> you have your chance, Buster. It's a small example, but I think it's a good one, that academicians are are prone to change their, their attitude if they see that there is a change in the culture.
4: And there is, you're absolutely right. We've seen an, an incredible shift in the media attitude uh, ever since this uh, To The Stars Academy thing has come out. And I think it's really good, but, but how do we keep that going And when we've still got the skeptics breathing down our neck and, and trying to tear that down as, as quickly as possible? That's my question.
2: Well, the skeptic movement is, I perceive that it's fracturing all by itself. You know, Richard Dawkins and all the, all these guys that used to have so much clout in the media don't have that clout anymore. I mean, Richard Dawkins is pretty much his worst enemy right now. I mean, people who used to admire him now cringe every time. He, you know, tweets something that turns out to be either misogynist or xenophobic or against Muslims. So, you know, he he kind of like started to be relegated by the skeptics movement. And another, you know, leaders of the skeptic movements are also in hot waters. I I, I just read an article in, in BuzzFeed about Lawrence Cross who with Dawkins produced this documentary, The Unbelievers. And he, be- before that, he was a, a very respected popularizer of science because of his books like The Science of Star Trek. And now he's been accused of sexual misconduct and sexual sexual abuse. So I don't see the skeptic moving, movement being as powerful as, as they were like 10 years ago. But on the other hand, what I'm seeing is These other new, like, forum groups of skeptics, like the Roswell Research Team, you know, the guys who managed to uncover the truth behind the the infamous Roswell slides in, like, I don't know, less than 48 hours. And there are other forums that managed to also debunk that Chilean UFO video that was promoted by Leslie Keen last year. I remember the, the MetaBank, I think, was, is right. the name of this, this group. So I'm seeing that. I'm seeing this new approach to skepticism that I actually embraced and I'm welcome. You know, this up crowd, crowdsourcing, uh, open, open-sourced open way of sharing knowledge of people going and, and cracking something that apparently is unsolvable and these guys are very smart and they manage to solve cases very rapidly
4: some of these groups are actually they're including people who are genuinely interested in the ufo phenomena as well you could call them skeptical ufologists they're actually a really good collaboration between the what's traditionally been the the skeptics on one side and the ufologists on the other
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what we need is actually those groups in which we have, like, we we will call little esque sceptics. You know, people who are not like fundamentalists in their in their way of looking at things. You know, they're they're not there to merely debunk or even wars. You know, to belittle and mock people who actually take this matter seriously. And on the other hand, we we want. Uh, people on the other side, on the so-called believer side, that are not uh, zealots, that they're not trying to prove that UFOs are extraterrestrial craft coming from some uh, planet in the galaxy or whatever, and 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 trying to, to, to go and prove or, or support that agenda, because that, that agenda is, right now, it's, I see it as dogma. You know, I mean, I, I don't see that as a productive way to go about and study this phenomenon.
1: We got more to come. Red Pill Junkie, Jay Randall Murphy, you're in
2: The
14: Paracast.
15: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
7: Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNTelecare.com, a team of board-certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Within 15 minutes of registration, care your family can afford, revolutionizing the healthcare industry, virtual consulting, providing diagnosis of non-emergency medical issues by phone or secure video on computer or smart mobile devices.
6: Easy.
16: Affordable. Effective.
17: Hi, Peter Peccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of A.D. After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal
1: radio. Oh, yeah. That's one of the overwhelming <laughs> renditions of the Paracast. Nobody else can do it better. Nobody does it better. All right? All right. That sounds like a song. That sounds like a song title. All oh, well. right. Miguel is here, Red Pill Junkie, and also J. Randall Murphy. For those who are not familiar with RPJ, I want to ask a quick question, which he's answered 10,000 times. All right? How did you pick the name Red Pill Junkie of all the names that you could pick?
2: The prox process is kind of like a mystery to me. It's just like the same way that everything creative or every idea that pops into your head. What I can tell you is that when I was younger, I became really obsessed with the books written by Carlos Castaneda. You know, all these, the, the teachings of Don Juan, A Separate Reality, Tales of Power, Journey to Xlan. I, I really thought there was something of incredible value in, into those narratives. And even though today... If you ask me if, you, if if I believe those stories were actually true, I will say that probably they were. That probably they were all uh, fictional and they were all the, uh, the result of uh, Castaneda's imagination. And even though I, I say that, you know, more power to him because the stories, I think, they still carry a lot of value, especially with regards to the philosophy he imparts. But anyway... When I read that, and then when I went to watch the movie The Matrix, you know, in 1999, I found so many parallels and and, and correlations between the Castaneda's books and this also fictional story by the Wachowski brothers that I, you know, couldn't pass that away, you know. And as a result, I realized that The Matrix is just another retelling of the age-old tale of of gnosticism the idea that this world is kind of like an illusion maybe even a prison if you if you want to think about it that way the only way to try to escape that prison is first you know realizing that it's an illusion and then trying to use that knowledge in, into uh, finding a way to the truth you know that's that's the way that that's the thing that the gnostics used to tell us Thousands of years ago, in, and and, the, and those teachings are found in, in, in the scrolls that were found in, in, in the Nahamadi library. And also, I, f- I believe that Philip K. Dick, uh, his books and his and his stories, sci-fi stories, were also very heavily into Gnosticism. So, I don't know, I feel that all of this is kind of correlated, and, and that's why I, I view myself as, as something of a modern, modern
4: Gnostic. I'm really glad you asked that question, Gene, actually. And uh, when you're mentioning The Matrix, I know just about everybody knows what that is. But for the few that don't, that was a 1999 science fiction action film by the Wachowski brothers with Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne and Carrie-Anne Moss, uh, hailed by some as one of the best movies ever made. It's set in a dystopian future in which most of the human race has been unknowingly turn into power supplies for their machine overlords. And I say unknowingly because their minds are plugged into a simulated reality called the matrix. And this opens up a whole arena of philosophical discussions that you've just mentioned about the reality of our universe and the nature of consciousness, one of which involves this red pill, which has become a symbol in counterculture for a preference for knowing the disturbing truth rather than remaining comfortably ignorant. This is where I think, you know, when you say red pill junkie, you you must have this undying need to know the truth at all costs kind of thing. This is what it says to me. Have I got that kind of right?
2: Yeah, you got, you got it right. I mean, the, to me, because in the movie, you know, and, well, spoiler alert, guys, but uh, then again, it's, it's a movie that's I don't know how oh, many yeah. years. Almost, it's old almost
4: enough years. now. I think we can talk about it. Yeah,
2: exactly. So the the hero of the story, Neo, is given this choice between having a, a blue pill and the red pill. And the, the choice of the red pill is that you will be awakened to the real truth of the world, and this, which also means that whatever happens, you cannot go back. You cannot go back to the things they, that you used. To be to the things they how they were to your home, and that's the choice. And I guess to put myself the name Red Pill Junkie was kind of like you know obviously tongue in cheek, the kind of like saying okay so this is the guy that's so stupid or so numb or or asleep that only one pill is not enough. You know you keep you have to keep giving him a red pill every every so often, otherwise he will forget. He will forget that he's in the Matrix. That's actually true. I mean, we keep forgetting. So I feel that once in a while, you know, stuff happens in our daily lives. Stuff like the UFO phenomenon. And I feel that the the main purpose of of, of those phenomena is to keep reminding us, hey, guys, you know, this world that you think you're living in is not what you think that you are living in. You know, it's another thing. You really don't have a full grasp. Of reality. The problem now with the term red pill is that unfortunately I've seen that it's been kind of like hijacked by groups of which I have no kind of like relation. I don't don't want to be related to them. I'm talking about these guys of the uh, men's right movement which is kind of like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And also I see people on the kind of like the extreme right size of the politics who also use the metaphor. It kind of like makes me uncomfortable. Like saying, why are these guys <laughs> messing up with my brand? <laughs> but I don't know, whatever, you know.
4: Well, they're just co-opting it and exploiting it for their own political gain. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of an irony in a way because it, in terms of its symbolism for counterculture, it means exactly the opposite. It means mm-hmm. to rec- recognize the control systems and to be able to break free from uh, our socialization and our comfort zones. Exactly. Think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, you know, not going back, I seem to remember a scene in in The Matrix where you've got the character Cypher and he's, mm-hmm. he's meeting with... Uh, one of the agents that are inside the matrix because, you know, he's a double crosser and
7: Mm
4: -hmm. he's made a deal to be reinserted back Mm -hmm. into the matrix. And he, uh, he says at one point, ignorance is bliss Mm
7: -hmm.
4: and that's what it's about. If you just want to conform to your socialization and society, then you can live in this sort of, Ignorant, bliss like state where you get your regular paycheck and go about your business as usual. But as soon as you start to think deeper, as soon as you take that red pill and start to look behind the facade, you start to see a whole different world. And that's what it's really about, I think. And so.
2: And also, what you do with that, you know, because there's there's one thing is that being aware that there's uh, this other world. But there's another thing to try to actually actively act upon your life with that knowledge in mind. For ex- because, like for example, Cipher, you know, yeah, the guy knows the truth. He knows that he that 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 the Matrix is an illusion. He's, it's a prison enslaving humanity. But uh, it's too inconvenient for him, so this uh, he prefers to go back to sleep. And I feel it's like the, those guys who. Took a whole lot of acid back when they were younger, you know, and they managed to see, you know, the strings that were being pulled in the fabric of society. But then, you know, as they grow older and say, Well, yeah, but now it's time to get a job, get a mortgage, you know, play the game. I know it's a game, I know it there there I'm being played in it, but I just want to have, you know, my nice condo with my flat screen and my and my suburban lifestyle you know i think that's that's the tragedy that many people many people live on nowadays
1: we're going to live on a tragedy if we don't do this break with <laughs> red pill junkie and jay randall murphy you're in
4: the podcast.
15: thank you for listening to gcn
18: This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the Powercast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Now, way back when, and in one of our best editions of the Powercast newsletter ever. We had an article from Red Pill Junkie about the apparent relationship between near-death experiences and UFO abductions. And I remember this because I said, can you give me a 1,000 or 2,000 words? And he said, (laughs) sure. And I guess he forgot how to count because he gave me, what, 5,000 words or 6,000 words? Yeah, Yeah, it's like he's running a little bit late. He gets it to me, and I'm looking at the beginning, and I'm scrolling through it, and I'm scrolling through it, and I'm scrolling through it. (laughs) (laughs) it just kept going. It's not, it's not repeating itself. He's got references and (laughs) bulleted lists anyway. And I think it's one of the best features we've ever run. And I like this guy more and more that his amazing brain with or without a psychedelic, I have no idea has come up with this sort of stuff. And, in our correspondence deciding what we talk about today, and as you see, we have almost a third of the episode is done and we haven't had a problem figuring out what to talk about. But you mentioned a resemblance or connection between psychedelic experiences and UFO experiences. How so, sir?
2: Well, it's something that I've been given a lot of thought in the last uh, few years. I, I do find these correlations, you know, because. Both experiences can be either the most transcendental life- altering experience of your whole life as can be in you know when you watch the life of people like I don't know Travis Walton or people who have have those close encounters of the third kind or, or you know like for example those police officers who chase down the UFO and as a result their life, became a living hell, or sometimes it, it's changed for the better. Or it can be something that it's of no consequence or transcendence whatsoever. You know? like like I mean, I have family relatives who have told me, yeah, I once saw this thing and that I couldn't know, and it was pretty close, and it was like a triangle, and yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, you know, like, hey, what's for dinner? <laughs> and, and the same way that, you know, people... Double with psychedelics and you know in a recreative, recreational way, and some people you know change forever. You know, like for example, Richard Alpert. Richard Alpert was this uh, school, you know, academician, and I think he was uh, with uh, with Timothy Timothy Leary in Harvard. And after, as a result of his uh, you know dabbling with LSD, he became Randas He became you know a guru for the New Age. You know, a, a total different person. And also, if you give that the same thing, the same compound to another person, like, for example, Charles Manson, he becomes cult leader of these, you know, murderers of gangsters that made these horrible murders, I don't know how many years ago, uh, that w- that we will now see in a movie that directed by, by Quentin Tarantino. So I'm interested in that. I'm, ter- I'm interested in the transcendental aspect Of these experiences. And I do feel, you know, there maybe there's something, there are more things uniting those experiences than we might think of.
1: Well, I think the problem with UFOs in general, even abductions, is we look at it with one lens, and that lens says physical event. Mm -hmm. And because it's a physical event, we really do have spaceships landing here, and the entities from said spaceships kidnapping humans over and over again as if they have nothing better to do. Maybe it's like dissecting frogs in a high school or elementary school lab where you have to get through that test to go to the next Mm -hmm. grade or something. So this way, what do the aliens, especially the young aliens, the alien children have to do? Well, they have to kidnap some earthlings— And perform some painful, primitive experiments on them. Sure. And as soon as they perform the primitive experiments, they graduate that class. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, it's just as possible as anything else.
2: It's a model that we can use it in order to try to make sense of something that really makes no sense at all. You know, I mean, just how many frogs do they need to cut in order for, for for the young student to pass to pass the test, you know, how many times do they need to keep doing that? And at the same time, the same way that with psychedelics, there's this problem of trying to put a line in the sign between what's the external or the exoteric experience and the internal or esoteric experiences. You know, where does the boundary lie? And as I grow older, I feel that that boundary is not only arbitrary, but sometimes maybe it's, you know, meaningless and useless. Like, for example, uh, let's talk about the abduction experience. Let's talk about, for example, uh, people who are convinced that aliens put some kind of implant, metallic implant, into their bodies to do whatever nefarious thing, tracking them, controlling their mind, whatever let's look into other phenomena like you know stigmata in, in in christian mystics like saint francis of assisi or father pio and stigmata for people who don't know what it what it is it's wounds that appear in your hands or maybe in in, in your feet or also maybe even in your uh, in, in your torso that T- seem to mimic the wounds that Jesus Christ received when he was uh, nailed into the cross at the moment of his death. And nowadays, parapsychologists are fully convinced you know, that this is something that is the result of the, 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 the enormous power of suggestion of the mind. But then again, you know, you say that as if you solved it, solved it but you only you know, put a label on it. You're talking about the mind being so powerful that it can literally rip over the tissue of your skin and your veins and create this gush in a very precise manner into your body. And if and if your body can do that, what's to say that it can also can't also create some kind of like small deposit of material in some place inside of your skin and it makes to convince you that it's actually an alien implant that were, was put during one of your abductions what if it's if an if an alien implant is almost akin to what in parapsychology is called an apport? apports are these physical objects that can be of any kind of material you know there are metal ones uh, crystalline ones whatever and these reports are materialized by psychics at will, you know. And this is something that apparently even the Chinese and the CIA have studied studied at length. And it speaks volumes about the untapped power of the, the, the human mind and, and, and something that maybe we should be more interested about that, that in trying to come up with ways to explain why. Aliens are conducting this human hybridization program that has been going on since God knows where in the 70s, the 90s, and what's their ultimate end goal? You know, to me, talking about those kind of stories, you know what? I find them so boring nowadays.
1: Well, I think what's boring to me and a lot of people here is just looking at the same old sightings over and over again and not mm-hmm. seeing anything there that provides a significant new fact. This goes back, of course, to this Pentagon UFO study. We haven't Mm -hmm. talked to you about that, Miguel, and that is that it didn't really produce anything new. Maybe a few sightings we hadn't heard before, but there are always sightings we haven't heard about. In fact, Mm -hmm. the other day, Kevin Randall had a blog where he's been looking into information about Project Blue Book where some records or indexes of sightings don't have a corresponding entry, and he's trying wow. to see if there are sightings that we don't know about. But at the end of the day, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be more sightings, mm-hmm. sometimes intriguing details, sometimes lights in the sky, anything involving the Air Force, It will be, an, shall we say, an overwrought attempt to assume that these things are not real. Yeah. So we're back to where we started. We can either say these cases aren't real and prove that. We can find cases that appear to be real, but we can't prove what it is and what they are. Yeah, we've got Red Pill Junkie, Jay Randall Murphy's our guest co-host. Chris O'Brien's looking for the internet to work. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in
3: the podcast. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com.
7: Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: I don't know what it is that Miguel's taking there, but I'd like a couple of bottles of it, really. Do you even read about sightings anymore, Miguel?
2: (sighs) Not really. Maybe from old books. And the occasional thing that appears uh, on the internet. Obviously, as a news administrator on, for the Daily Grail, I, I do need to keep my nose to the ground to see what's what's new.
4: Okay. Well, here's something you might be interested in. Then, back in October last year, 2017, about 4:30 p.m. near the California-Oregon border, there is a mystery aircraft. They don't know if it was an aircraft or exactly what it was, but it was Mm -hmm. spotted visually by airline pilots and tracked on radar, not with a transponder, but just uh, like a rogue aircraft. They call it an intruder, and it was traveling north to south between uh, locales in California and Nevada and cities like Portland and Seattle and beyond. It was recorded on air traffic control audio and eventually got confirmations from both the FAA and NORAD. There's audio recordings of this, indicates many communications between various passenger jets and the Seattle Center, whose controllers tried to track it as it made its way north towards the Willamette Valley. And NORAD also said that the incident eventually did result in F-15s from Portland being scrambled to investigate. But by the time they got there and looked around, the mystery aircraft couldn't be found. Now. F-15s are pretty sophisticated pieces of machinery that can get places really fast and detect things very accurately at long distances. You don't get away from them very easily. So whatever this thing was, it was something fairly unusual. We don't know that it was a UFO. It may have just been some sort of secret spy plane from another country, but nobody seems to know what it was. And I found it very interesting that this report could go sort of unnoticed by so many people when it actually has transcripts and audio recordings, and it was admitted by NORAD that they sent up F-15s to try and track the thing down and chase it, but couldn't get to it. There's a sighting for you.
2: Yeah, and it's a really interesting sighting.
4: Yeah, you can check it out. There's this, I don't know if we can say, you know, promote other websites, but it first popped up on a site called The War Zone, so you could probably yeah. go there and look it up. This is like a site that features a lot of military type of aficionados, so it's, you can take it pretty seriously. It seems like this really did happen. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the more interesting sightings that's taken place, say, you know, within the last six months kind of thing.
2: I agree wholeheartedly. I think that uh, Billy Cox, he's the boy Colum, also uh, brought this up. He also brought... Uh, the investigation that was conducted by those guys in, in that other uh, website, the Warzone, and yeah, I, I mean,
4: this is interesting. In a case like this, we're not dealing with hallucinations or collective unconscious or well, some sort of manifestation because you've I got don't people. Those, I mean, I don't think one well, thing scoots <laughs> I, I kind of do. I th- I think when you've got something being tracked on radar by multiple sources. And you're not thinking of UFOs in the first place, and you see one. What sort of stimulus is there for someone to suddenly conjure up in their mind a, a strange flying object that can be picked up on radar? I, I think that's a real stretch.
2: I don't know. I mean, I mean, there was the, those other cases from the To the Stars release, right? You know, uh, the the USS Nimitz case, and in, those, in that case, the pilots saw the, the object, but it wasn't picked up by radar. So are, you, are we saying that a radar, therefore, is more reliable and more trustworthy than a human being? I'm not sure if I'm, I'm willing to go and, and, and accept that. And I would say time, that
4: necessarily. But, I think we have radar in that they so, send pilots up for visual confirmation. Here's what I think. I think that what we need to move forward is this
2: dichotomy. This dichotomy between what we're saying, yeah, this is the, the There's an outside objective world that is outside of our skulls and there's, you know, our inner world, you know, that is in our minds and our minds only. What I think that is going to be the next leap in science is to the admittance that consciousness and intelligence is everything. Consciousness precludes matter. Consciousness and information are the true building blocks of reality.
4: Okay. Hang on there. What do you mean by consciousness precludes matter? Like, uh, explain that one. Because I I think some people might not get that.
2: And it's difficult to go go around it. But uh, I think that when I started to entertain that idea is when I read Jacques Vallée, Messengers of Deception, which I think is guys… If you have a list of must-read UFO books, Messengers of Deception had to be, it has to be at, at least in the top five. Really. Why? Not because of what he writes about, you know, these UFO cults and these many ways in which the UFO phenomenon can be used to deceive the populace. You know, that was, that was interesting. But it wasn't as interesting as the things that he got into By the end of the book, when he was having these dumbfounding synchronicities, when he was investigating the Melchizedek uh, UFO cults, and when he was investigating those cults, you know, he got into a a taxi cab in San Francisco, and when he asked for a receipt, he got it from the driver, and the, the name of the driver was Melchizedek. And he looked in the yellow pages of San Francisco, and apparently there was kind of like only a dozen of people in that city with that name. So pretty mind-boggling synchronicity, and he began, began to entertain these physics theories of information in which it posits that information is more important, is more fundamental than time, space, and energy. Into, into the actual creation of, of reality. So he's not alone in this, uh, Randall. There are a, another a, a whole lot of, of cutting-edge scientists. Ob- obviously, these guys tend to be pretty old because you can only go into such heresies, into these affronts to the materialistic model of science when you are pretty much untouchable, when you have a, no- a Nobel Prize in your sleeve or on your belt
4: that's sort of a bit of and i you know i just just to interject here a little bit because we before we move on through too many related concepts there's there's it's just because people have notoriety and credentials doesn't necessarily mean they're correct so true no true. Uh, no with The case with Valet, he's uh, a genuine astronomer.
2: And a computer scientist.
4: That's right, and a computer scientist. So he's naturally going to uh, be drawn towards ideas like information as reality. And these are all very interesting. But if we start to say something like uh, consciousness comes before the material world, then what exactly are we saying? Are we saying that without consciousness, there would be no material world?
2: Yeah, we're saying that. We're saying okay. that universe so, well, well, the universe is conscious. Everything in the universe is conscious. Everything.
4: And, and what and kind of evidence of, is there into for a that? a
2: panpsychist model.
4: Yeah, and that's pretty sort of... Uh, yeah. I don't
2: we, we, that's we getting out that
4: there in terms of the kind, kind of...
2: We of... are materialists who don't want to go that way and we say, okay, you know, just humans are special because humans have this, you know, inner life of the mind but you know this desk that are near me doesn't doesn't have that you know or the chair near it but but then again you know all these things are made out of atoms that were spewed out by the same star
4: right well like i would say okay we know the universe is at least the one we're in now is, uh, you know, in the order of several billion years old, and that people yep. didn't even exist. So, there, at, at one point, there was no consciousness in the universe. But, no but human the universe must, but the, there was no humans around to be conscious. Okay, so Earth
2: didn't even the only, exist. The only conscious uh, entities in the universe? Well, what do we the saying? The sun is conscious, too. That's, That's a pretty thing much that nonsense. I have, have no problem entertaining. Even the Japanese have no trouble entertaining the idea that uh, immaterial objects have, have a soul.
1: Hey, let's continue this in our next segment with Red Pill Junkie. J. Randall Murphy and Gene, you're in. Uh, Paracast. <laughs> Neighbors, we've made such a deal with HelloFresh, and it means that everyone listening to this show can receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the offer code PARACAST30. You know, with HelloFresh, you can choose the delivery day that works best for you. They've got a wide variety of chef-curated recipes. that change weekly. And can you imagine me cooking... Japanese panko chicken. It makes me feel like I'm a chef. It means also that you could actually get your meal cooked in 30 minutes. For busy people, this is perfect. The simple recipes include step-by-step instructions so even I can figure it out. Go to HelloFresh.com. Use the offer code PARACAST30 to get $30 off your first week of deliveries.
20: HelloFresh.com. If you owe money to the IRS, you need to hear this. The IRS is cracking down on those who owe back taxes. It starts with a devastating letter. And if you don't act immediately, you could find yourself having your wages garnished or have a lien placed on your property. But there's a solution. Tax 10,000 can help. Avoid enforced compliance, where these holds on your income and seizure of your home could become a nightmare that just won't end. Call 800-239-9957 now and speak to one of our experts. 800-239-9957 is the number to link you directly to a tax resolution specialist who will negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. Working through the IRS Fresh Start program, all the forms will be handled for you. All you have to do is make the toll-free call, 800-239-9957. Find out if you qualify and possibly save yourself thousands of dollars, not to mention a lot of headaches. It could be the best call you've made today. That number again, 800-239-9957. The service does not provide tax settlement or legal services. We will refer you to a company that does provide such services. Often the IRS will not agree to any reduction in the amount owed. Not all taxpayers who owe more than $10,000 will qualify for a tax reduction program.
4: Hi, it's Grant Cameron from presidentialufo.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: He must ask that question. You never know what the answer is. Miguel, would you continue?
2: Right. I mean, I'm not saying I'm right, Rambo. I'm saying that I'm more than willing to entertain these ideas that, you know, objects or things that we thing are, are, are immaterial, are, are dead the devoid of consciousness may be conscious in some way that we don't understand
4: i think you know, like for
2: example the sun or the earth itself Gaia you know i'm not the first per- person who will entertain the possibility that, that the UFO phenomenon is some kind of manifestation from the Gaia consciousness the planetary consciousness of the, the
4: earth what we're doing there is we're anthropomorphizing Objects and deifying objects, and that's something that only can take place and when you've got a conscious deifying, mind.
2: You know, but showing respect to objects. You know, there was this guy. I don't remember his name. He was a Japanese designer, very important designer. He was the guy who designed the bullet train and also the the, the famous Kikoman's soy sauce bottle. Right before he became a designer, and you know, all he was a Zen monk, and he had actually. Uh, managed to survive the Nagasaki nuclear bombing in 1945. And he said that when he was walking through the debris, remains of this city that was totally obliterated, that he saw, you know, all the remains of objects like, I don't know, uh, cars or houses or, you know, furniture and maybe he was in a state of derangement you know you you will say that but he claimed that he could see the cries he could hear the cries of these objects that were now deprived of their having the chance to serve a purpose you know and i found that so moving mainly because i'm also an industrial designer you know and i know how much love and how much intent i put into the things that i design you know, every day in my day work
4: That's poetic and it's symbolic. Maybe not
2: not just poetic. Maybe there's something to things, objects that we wear or that we have close to us and that maybe they they are imbued with some kind of inner life. We know that, that there are people or psychics who claim to hold an object that may have some kind of history, you know, like maybe some kind of family heirloom you know, your grandmother's earrings, for example, and they hold the object, and they manage to retrieve some kind of information. You can either believe that or don't, but I find that that idea fascinating. What is this possibility? That, you know, that material objects, material matter, may be able to store information just as well as the human brain is capable of storing
4: information. Well, we've got microchips that store information, but that's a different sort of thing. I don't know. know. Is it? Sure it is, because they're engineered to be able to store information.
2: They're engineered to easily retrieve that information. Everybody can do it. If you have the right operating system, what if psychics run on a different operating system than most of us?
4: Well, when we get into psychics, that gets to be pretty controversial. What I, mean, I will say, though... There,
7: man,
2: You know, you I, can't stay in the materialistic side of ufology forever. I feel at least that you can't. Otherwise, you miss so much.
4: What I would say, however, and I would completely agree with in terms of uh, consciousness coming before the material, is that our creative mind has to come up with the idea first. And when it's in our consciousness, and we don't really know what consciousness is yet at this point, or at least what it's made of, or how it comes into being, but we do know that we have to have an idea first before we can actually realize it in the material world. That's very
2: true. Sometimes those ideas come in very uh, non-ordinary ways, right? I mean... We have each history after history in in, in in science of all these brilliant thinkers who have that famous eureka moment, you know, in which you can almost say that they received the information from from elsewhere. One example: the chemist Keculi who had this dream one night of seeing this serpent that was eating its own tail, and he realized that image was the perfect symbol of the molecule for benzene which he was studying you know so where did that come from
4: the mind associates patterns it's an incredible thing and yeah and people like yourself who are creative i'm i've got some of that as well it's not like i don't appreciate what you're saying but i also always have to ask myself, well, you know, True. where is the real evidence for that? And, and how, how well does it stack up in terms of critical thinking? So I, I have to do that. Maybe say, you're a little what, more free for him. I-
2: <laughs> what do we say when, you know, someone like Francis Crick, Nobel Prize winner, you know, co-discoverer of the DNA double helix, and he credited LSD to be <laughs> almost like the vital tool for him to dream up double helix.
4: That's not the first time I've heard that. Back in my teens when I was an aspiring rock musician, one of my uh, guitar mentors was a bit older than me and into the sort of uh, drug culture. He confided in me, and it's it's okay to tell this story now and I don't have to mention names, that he had taken peyote and he'd had a vision of his whole life unfolding from its past into its future, and he said he knew how he was going to die. And the way that it unfolded was exactly like a couple of film strips, he said, Mm -hmm. that were wrapped around each other in this pattern that he described as, I later realized was a double helix. So this I find very fascinating, that people do have these insightful moments that are difficult to explain in normal psychology we can say, well, our brain is an amazingly creative thing that is pretty much on all the time, whether we know it or not. It seeks out ways to understand the world. And I think that this is a natural expression of the way our minds work. Hey, this reminds me, what do you think of the Mandela effect? Because we had a bit of a discussion about that on the forum and a a couple of episodes ago, and this kind of gets into all of that, that. You know what I'm talking about there?
2: It's not the Mandela effect, man. It's the Mengele effect. <laughs> oh, did, you didn't watch that X-File episode?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't seen it, actually. Oh, uh, man. So good. I, I know Gene told me about it, but I, I don't have cable. So, so, so good. You know, how do you think that might fit into all of this? Because effect,
2: I do feel that in that instance, it's more of a showing our unreliable memories. There is a quote by Milan Kundera who wrote uh, The Unsufferable Lightness of, of Being, that says memory is not the opposite of forgetting. Memory is a way of forgetting. Meaning that the idea is that when you try to remember something, it's not like you're retrieving it from some kind of like storage in your mental hard drive. You are creating that moment out of nothing, you know, this remembrance. And the problem is that every time you do that, the remembrance becomes ever, ever more distorted. The more you try to remember your wedding night or, or the color of your mother's eyes, the more distorted that, that memory gets. Uh, so about the Mandela effect, I feel right now that it's not really so much evidence of, you know, that, yeah, that we're moving between parallel realities,
1: we're to come with Jean, Miguel, and Randall. You're in
4: the ParaCast.
15: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNLive.com today.
12: Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-959-5759. That's 1-800-959-5759. 1-800-959-5759. Have you heard the warning from the
14: dead doctors don't lie guy? I'm talking about Dr. Joel Wallach. He says, if you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol or high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, or other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. That's what he says. He has a free lecture revealing what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in his free lecture called Deadly Recipe. You want it free? Call him toll free at 855-79-YOUNG. You ready? 855-79-YOUNG. Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy, says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be
22: at least 100 and have a great time getting there.
17: Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of A.D. After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal
1: radio. You see, if I don't say anything, Randall will always take over saying the Paracast. (laughs) It's just... more
4: than a 300 millisecond delay. I'm in there.
1: Yeah, I sure did. Let us continue.
2: So, Mandela effect, you know, I don't feel there's you know it's, it's it's evidence that yeah, we move from a different parallel universe or that you know the guys who are running our simulation, you know decided to pull a fast one over us and although that's an interesting funny thing to entertain, although i I do wonder if if a person is able to Go through different aspects of of their lives in in, in the multiverse when you're dreaming, you know, Because I, I have a very rich dream life, you know. I've, I've experienced lucid dreams several times. I've experienced dreams in which I've, I I feel I have died. You know, sometimes I've I've, I've dreamed that I was kind of like a guerrilla fighter, and and my squad was caught by by the army. And we were executed, you know. And I remember uh, waking up sobbing, you know, bawling over, you know, this loss of being deprived of my own life, you know, such a, such an early age. So I don't know, you know, is that just the the product of my mind, or is some of that information coming from elsewhere?
4: That's a really good question. The older I've gotten, the stranger my dreams have gotten. Where the imagery and places and settings will uh, will be part of the picture that i have no idea why my mind would conjure it up i mean it's not related to anything in my life that is that i've recently seen or thought about or anything else in fact sometimes it's completely so out of character for me i go what the heck is going on with with my dream mechanism yeah so. There's
2: also something that I've experienced many, many nights when I probably are in some kind of hypnagogic state, right? You know, between waking up and and dream-like. And, and, but, I, but I'm conscious that I'm lying on the bed, it's dark, and then I'm seeing into my ceiling, and I see these sort of weird color mandalas, you know, that are, you know, kind of like moving towards me. And sometimes those mandalas form letters and mathematical symbols I, I don't know what the hell that is i know there's a name for that That it's called entoptic phenomena but other than that i don't know if it's a result of some kind of like uh, endogenous secretion of dmt while being in some kind of a, a relaxed state i don't know if the mothership is trying to beam up some kind of like secret formula into my brain i'm i'm just too stupid or too, you know, my, my operating system is just not upgraded enough to actually get it or, you know, uh, decrypt it.
1: Uh, well, sorry. you see, you've got to use Macs. You can't use Windows. <laughs> <laughs>
16: Maybe that's it.
1: Yeah. Did Apple pay you for that, Gene? I, I that wish that? they would, but, you know, we have to be a multi-million dollar corporation to get advertising from Apple.
23: Mm-hmm.
4: I know you're, you're pretty humble, but from the stuff that I've seen and and listened to you, I think you're definitely one of the more creative and intelligent people on the scene. And I would say that, you know, these visions and dream interpretations are a product of your quite brilliant mind, actually, the way that you think of things and imagine things and being a visual artist, it's going to express itself in that way. And that, uh, it's just you're just lucky to be able to do it, whereas other people simply just don't have the ability. I ran across a really interesting thing not too long ago. Uh, there's a, a condition called aphantasia where people, uh, they don't have the ability to visualize. For me, and I imagine uh, for you as well, I can't even imagine how I could communicate if I wasn't able to visualize what I'm thinking. Wow. How could people even function. I guess they do, but for us who think in pictures and communicate through pictures into vocal language, without that filter there, I'm not even sure how I would form a sentence. I mean, I can visualize sound as well as imagery, but uh, these people, they just don't have that ability, and yet they somehow function in the world.
2: That's interesting, yeah, because, I mean, think about language. I mean, language... As McKenna said, it's the crudest and most inefficient form of telepathy that's out there. You know, we're trying to convey complex terms using grounds that are coming out of the same hole that we used to eat, right? But all those grounds are supposed to coalesce and unite in, in specific ways in order to create this idea into the mind of the people who are communicating communicating with for example if you if I, I, I say to you pink elephant it's almost inevitable for you guys to go with that image in yeah your head. there
4: it is i can see it now or if i do yeah. you know someone says i just bought a red ferrari you've got it you know you, yeah you know in my case there's a there's a blonde in the passenger seat too but uh, <laughs> <laughs> why not red-haired why not brunette
2: Yeah, exactly.
4: I think it goes back to a national lampoon vacation, possibly. It could be something to do with that.
2: Which, you know, brings us back to that idea that when people communicate with aliens, they do so telepathically, and yet this telepathy seems to be primordially oral, right? Like they're listening to this voice inside of their heads, and I've always thought that... That shouldn't be the way in which telepathy works. I think that telepathy should work in the way of of more more like transmitting images into the mind of of the recipient instead of, you know, words. Otherwise, aren't you missing the beauty of, of the medium of, you know, you're literally going without making the noises that are picked up by the ear of the person and then those sounds are, you know, uh, translated into some kind of like, you know, vibrations that are decoded by the brain of the recipient, w- wouldn't it be more efficient to go, instead of saying red Ferrari, to ban, you know, transmit that image directly into the mind of the recipient? I think that's even the way that people who go into all these things about remote viewing try to condition their
4: brains Hmm. I think some people do have that type of a an experience when you go back to some of the uses of hallucinogens, for example. I mean, that, that isn't telepathy, but I think the kind of messages that they get from the experience are often very visual and symbolic in nature and don't involve any type of, uh, you know, a lecture from a higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever had any kind of telepathic experience?
2: Hmm, that's a good question. Mm, I don't know. I know that I've experienced in a few occasions, you know, a moment in which you are so synced with another person that, for example, you know, my, uh, an employer of mine that we're coming up with a design and we are so uh, we know each other so well, you know, our tastes, our way of thinking, our way of solving solutions uh, 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 in design. That you know, the moment that he come up comes up with something, I can almost you know finish it up for him because we're we're synced up that way. You know, we're thinking kind of like in the same the same lines. Right. You're on the same wave. That, yeah, it, we are on the same wave. I don't know if that will be akin to. Telepathy, but maybe it's a good approximation. I also know that there are people who I don't know. They manage to watch someone in a in a crowded place, and then you know unexpectedly that someone you know raises their sight, you know, and they connect. You know that what what makes you feel, you know, that that feeling. I, th- I think everybody has felt it. You know that uh, that someone is watching. You know that some and you. Turned your gaze and yes, yeah, so someone is actually, you know, looking at you directly.
1: Well, you know what? Someone is gonna watch us from the network if we don't break. With Gene, Miguel, and Randall. You're in the Paragast.
15: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit gcnlive.com today.
23: One out of four people listening to my voice right now could die from heart disease. This could be your last year, and you don't even know it because you don't know the early warning signs. If you think you're safe because your cholesterol levels are normal, think again. Because studies show that 75% of heart attack patients also had normal cholesterol levels. Let me introduce you to Strauss Heart Drops, a world-famous heart and brain formula made in Canada. It's time-tested and will give you clinical results in 90 days or your money back. Learn more at signsofheartdisease.com. They are shipping free this month.
5: is Marie D. Jones, the author of this book is from the future and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: The man of a thousand voices, Red Pill Junkie. As we continue, I want to throw out something totally left field but it relates to something that you mentioned and that is... Alien artifacts?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it relates to the things that we've discussed. Like, for example, implants as possible apports, you know, psychic apports. I think, for me, the most interesting thing that, that we extracted from that famous New York Times article was that very brief, almost, you know, deceptionally brief mention of those aloes that were stored by Bigelow in this facility that apparently he had, he needed to expand or build ex professor to keep in these alloys. And, you know, just one really short sentence, and it was like, what? I mean, what is this? And it reminded me of an interview that I managed to have with the one and only Jacques Valet last year, you know, my friends on the podcast, The Grimerica Show. Have him on his show, and they were kind enough to invite me to be, you know, like, uh, tag along and actually, you know, ask some questions to, mm. to, to Dr. Vallée. And when he went about these uh, ejecta that he's managed to try to study using the spectrographs that his friends in Silicon Valley have and the things that he managed to study and and discover about these fascinating metal materials, it kind of like rang a bell, because here's what he told us, you know. He told us that, you know, what they discovered is that these alloys or these, you know, metallic samples are neither of meteoric origin, you know, they didn't come from some kind of meteor from Mars or, or another extraterrestrial place and crash down on Earth and someone retrieved them. And they weren't also, uh, you know, common, you know, metal samples that were manufactured in some, you know, plant in United States or whatever. What they discovered is that this isotope ratio of these samples was very peculiar, almost as if they these ma- materials had been re-engineered at the molecular level. And I don't know for... Wh- Why? But at that point, something rang a bell inside of me. And then that's when I asked him, you know, Dr. Balay, does this mean that the evidence you have retrieved and what you're discovering, does it suggest that we are dealing with an agency or an intelligence that is capable of transforming energy into matter and vice versa? And, you know, almost falsehood fell out of my chair when he said, oh, yes, I mean, we are beyond, you know, speculation with this. We can say without a doubt that that is the case. And if we accept that, Gene and Randall, then we're saying that maybe the UFO phenomenon is some kind of like agency that comes from some other aspect of our reality. And once they want to interact with us, they can Create out of thin air anything they need in order to to do that interaction they can create you know some kind of like disc shaped craft that is apparently made out of metal maybe they can create an automobile you know one of those classic black automobiles that the men in black were seen riding on maybe they can even create humanoid body bodies you know and that maybe that's the reason why those bodies or those men in black seem to be almost like automatons and there wasn't something quite right about them like like almost like they, if they were moving cadavers you know I'm a gamer right and I, I like I like playing video games and when I I think about these things I think about how when you are playing a video game you know you're you are playing I don't know Whatever, um, first-person shooter or whatever. First, you, there is that avatar inside of you, of your of the game, which you are using to interact with the game. That is created out of you know the the pixels that are you know part of the of 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 the game structure. And then when you need a weapon, you know it poof it manifests right in front of your eyes. And when you don't need it anymore, it disappears. So that is the kind of things that suggests me that, uh, you know, those things that they, they, they retrieved and they started to study on those, those Pentagon Papers, they probably confused them more than, you know, they gave them answers about, oh, yeah, this is the kind of like alloy that we need to make a spacecraft that can go at faster than light speed.
1: Well, we can always have Warp Drive or we can have Stargates. I still like the Stargate concept.
2: Yeah. You don't have to
1: take off anywhere. You just walk into the Mm -hmm. wormhole and your atoms and molecules are shifted around and you come out on the other side. And that's it. It takes, what, 30 seconds?
2: I I like the David Lynch concept on on that uh, Doom movie of his in which... The guild navigators used the spice melange, this kind of like drug-like substance that was also used to expand human consciousness and human and human uh, lifespan in order in order to fold space itself around the craft.
4: Right. I think in Star Trek the, the reboot here we've got some kind of
2: yeah strange. Yeah. The spore drive,
4: yeah, the, which is which is kind of different. I'm not sure I, I like it that much, but at least it's uh, creative.
2: It's very creative, and also the guy who is uh, in that show, you know, the guy who is running that spore drive, is named after an actual scientist, an actual mycologist, Paul Stamets.
1: That's interesting. You're referring like, yeah, here yeah. to the Star Trek Discovery. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I haven't decided to pay a monthly fee. To get that. CBS yeah. All Access. Yeah, I own, It may be available differently in Canada or in Mexico.
2: Watched... It was available on Netflix here in Mexico.
1: Ah, I'm being cheated.
2: <laughs> you know what? You know, Wait until you can get it, uh, uh, Gene, but do watch it because it's really worth it.
1: I'm hoping then next year maybe I can get it at Netflix because I'm running out of things to watch on Netflix. I saw Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. I saw, or I'm starting to watch The Punisher, which is a pretty raw kind of show. It's based on a Marvel comic book character who becomes an Avenger after his family is killed. And then, of course, there's Longmire. And that's about a sheriff in a small town in Montana. And he has conflicts with the Native American reservation adjacent to this town. So that's kind of a fun show because we have Starbuck as the co-star. Anyway, let's get back to the real world. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, every time we hear stories about, well, we've got an alien artifact or some alloy here, and it just never seems to come to anything. There's always some kind of question about it. It never seems to end up being anything compelling. Yeah, and photographs can be faked, and we always hear stories about that. And uh, so we don't have that. We have those original radar visual sightings, but we don't have many of those anymore.
2: <laughs> well, maybe because we're looking into these artifacts uh, from a diff- from the wrong angle, right? Like, for example, when they first uh, analyzed those metal samples uh, back in the, I don't know, the 50s, the 60s, or whatever... Yeah, they discovered that they were composed of a very pure uh, magnesium, you know, which was interesting, but it wasn't like, you know, proof that it came from an extraterrestrial craft because what you want there is some kind of like metal that is not, I don't know, in the periodic table that is not available on Earth. You know, you want to find an optanium, you know. So when you find, you know, kind of like... Almost 196% pure magnesium, you say, well, that's interesting, but it's not really what I was looking for. The same when people were looking into the pancakes of Mr. Joe Simonton, you know, those that were given to him by these, uh, what he called like Italian looking euphonauts that, you know, bothered him. Uh, when he was working on his chicken farm, and they they had requested some water, and as payment he payment he asked for some of those pancakes they were cooking inside of their craft. And, and I'll tell you
1: something pancakes. about those pancakes. I understand they tasted terrible. Et yeah. is not very good when it comes to cooking earth foods. <laughs> RPJ, J Randall Murphy, Gene Steinberg, you're in the paracast. Yeah. stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the PowerCast. You go to store.thepowercast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour.
4: Are you retired or facing retirement and you're afraid your income is going to be less than you'd like? I'm Pharmacist Keith, Dr. Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy, and I want to show you a low-cost way to create your own business, working
14: around your current schedule, creating extra income that will last for years to come by joining Dr. Wallach's
4: crusades, spreading his message of better health. To learn more, visit radio.recordedvideo.com, that's radio.recordedvideo.com, radio.recordedvideo.com, or call 866-257-3105 for a recorded message.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: So think about that. These poor cooks, these shlemels, who haven't learned on whatever planet they're from, how to cook properly. Mm-hmm. I remember the story, Joe Simonton of Eagle River, Wisconsin... I heard him interviewed and he seemed like a normal, simple guy. And he was caught up in this and maybe he had hoped for more or maybe something happened to him. Maybe somebody was pulling a prank on him. Some military guys in a test aircraft landed there. No, it doesn't. none of this makes any sense. I wonder here if it wasn't for the fact that he did have the pancakes to produce, I'd think somebody was playing a prank on him.
4: What's interesting about... You know, you hear the word pancakes, and you think, well, that's kind of ridiculous. You know, we'd want something like a, a tricorder or something like that. But <laughs> when you when you really think about it, actually, if the pancakes are made out of any kind of organic material, if it's not from Earth, you're going to be able to analyze that, and actually determine it's not from Earth much easier than say just something that's made out of, uh, like you were saying, Miguel, say highly purified magnesium or aluminum or something like that, because we can get that here anywhere, but, but some sort of uh, alien DNA chain, that would be a whole lot harder to explain. So actually a pancake might actually be better evidence than uh, a chunk of metal.
1: The thing well, I also I mean, wonder here is when we think of alien metals, we say, okay, unobtainium, as Miguel says, And you have to wonder here, is it just possible that a lot of the elements ET will use are not very different from what we'd use, especially on their scout ships that are mostly traveling within the atmosphere? There's no need to use anything more sophisticated. So they could be checked out carefully, and maybe their technology is way ahead of us. But a lot of the elements that they use, not so. Maybe they can make it a lot faster.
2: Yeah maybe maybe they can use whatever material they come by while they are you know surveying you know a different world you like i mean let's retrace the the simonton experience the ufo or the craft touches down there's a guy carrying some kind of like silver jug and asks for water these are the worst Uh, space travelers ever i mean they're not carrying their own water what if i mean there are still people who are advising american travelers not to taste their water in mexico (laughs) and these guys from apparently if they come from alpha centauri but they have no qualms in in drinking the water from some chicken farmers well
1: well you know what might be happening here they may have a chamber or something and they subject it to this chamber and it removes the local microbes
2: Here's one, what I, what I entertained one day when I was thinking about the Simon Tone story. You know, okay, so maybe they're not only traveling to from wherever they come from to this world with their own carrying their own water. Maybe they weren't even carrying th- their own floor to make the pancakes. You know, maybe the, the week before they bothered Simon Tone's neighbor, you know, and asked for floor also. You know, and they they gave him. I don't know, what, another trinket as payment. Maybe they don't even travel with their own bodies. And then is when I remembered like, that movie, Kate Pax with, you know, what's the name of this?
1: Uh, we don't want to mention franchise. the actor who starred in that, because he <laughs> yeah, it's not, is, yeah, in, he has a few problems.
2: Ke- yeah, Kevin Spacey. Oops. So, but that's a great movie. <laughs> it's a great movie because it talks about this alien traveler that is traveling from his home planet of K-Pax to the Earth on a, a a photon, you know, beam. You know, there's, he's traveling on light, and his stuff doesn't carry anything. He's using whatever it is he, he encounters here to interact with humans, you know. I mean, yes. Richard Dolan entertained the idea that maybe the reason why there are tales about beings that look like Uh, insects or beings that look like reptilians is because the aliens are using the DNA of indigenous species in our planet in order to grow bodies. They can use here that are suitable for our gravity, our atmosphere, you know, our own special conditions and they don't bother to travel with their own bodies. You know, they, they leave those on their home planet.
1: I remember Uh, a science fiction novel. I read, I don't know, some years back, I think Jack Williamson was the author, and it was about this civilization where someone would download his or her consciousness to a robot or, shall we say, some kind of simulated life form, and that's how they travel. They wouldn't physically leave their home planet. They'd send out, not even cloning we're talking about here, we're talking about the consciousness, now I don't know whether it's a duplicate of your original consciousness in which you went on in your business and then when the voyage was over you just merged your consciousness and had the knowledge of what happened on this other planet. I wouldn't make assumptions about that because it's many many years since I read this story. It's got to be several decades. But that was the basic concept here and it might be we don't know how ET will get here and then we don't even know if what we're seeing is what's there. It's not just exactly. it's not just robotic consciousness. It's not just something simulated from what we have here or grown here. It may be that they appear in a form that we accept like in the movie Contact. The E.T. comes here and we can't accept its appearance or maybe they have something to hide. We don't know. So they appear as one of us so that we can be comfortable dealing with them and they don't have to confront the reality of what they really look like, whether that appearance would be jarring to us. We don't know what alien logic is. We don't know why they would do that. It may just be a simulation, a complete simulation, not just appearing in another form, but nothing that you see is what's really going on.
4: Like a hologram? Yeah. That's quite possible. I think actually that the craft, if we're dealing with craft, I think they're using some sort of active camouflage that is able to give the appearance of pretty much whatever they want it to be or shield it and make it invisible. And so you get a lot of these different effects which cause people to make assumptions that aren't really correct. They'll see, oh, well, I saw this kind of ship and that's what it was. But it's really not that. Underneath it all, under where the shell is, maybe it's just that tic-tac shape like the Nimitz encounter and it only takes on different shapes according
1: to what it needs at the time. Or we fill in the details, you know, like the co-creation theory that Greg Bishop talks about.
2: Yeah. How much of what is projected, you know, is brought by by ourselves, you know, our our mental baggage or cultural idiosyncrasies, you know, like Greg Bishop postulates, you know, we're probably not mere passive observers when we are seeing something that it's completely outside Of our normal expectations.
4: Well, that's true. There are a number of cases where people who are witnesses to a UFO event experience this telepathic connection that you talked about earlier and actually seem to get some kind of feedback from the object in terms of its movement. It'll come closer, maybe go further away. I've experienced that myself in one case. It was pretty weird. So, who knows? It's possible that they can pick up on our brainwaves and read them somehow and and respond. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem to be beyond the realm of possibility.
2: Yeah, I remember uh, the Martian Chronicles by uh, Mr. – what's the name of the the author? Bradbury? Bradbury, yeah, thank you. And there's a lot of things that he wrote in that book that seems to be very similar to what people report in the UFO experience and that's the story of you know of the Martian that is capable of shape his form you know according to the desires of the people who are you know he's who are watching him you know sometimes for some people he's it's he becomes the the lost the long dead wife and for others he's his son who went away and you know for others he's you know his spouse and 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 it's kind of yeah, in the end it's it's neither of those, you know. It's something that we not cannot comprehend, and it's just kind of like the way that he projects in order not to 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 almost to defend himself.
1: We we have more to come with Red Pill Junkie, our guest co-host Jay Randall Murphy. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in. The
2: Paracas Batos, orale yeah!
0: That's
8: R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. With uncertain times in the United States, it's only prudent to consider storing precious metals in a safe place outside of our borders. At Miles Franklin Limited, we have done just that for you. Partnered with the most respected storage company in the industry, Miles Franklin Limited is proud to offer the only fully insured private safe deposit box system in North America, held in Vancouver and Toronto send us your previously purchased precious metals or have one of our brokers help you purchase something new questions. Please call one of our experienced brokers at 866-485-4346. Solid foundational storage partnered with the most respected name and security. That's miles Franklin limited celebrating our 29th year in business without ever receiving a customer complaint. Call us at 866-485-4346 again That's 866-485-4346. Miles Franklin Limited. A name you can trust.
14: Hi, I'm Kelly Cook, Chief Marketing Officer for Kmart and Sears. Every baby deserves the best possible start, but not all babies get one. March of Dimes is changing that. You can help us lead the fight for the health of all moms and babies. Join me and Kmart to March for Babies. Let's raise funds and be champions for families near and far. Together, we are building a brighter future. Sign up for Kmart's team today at marchforbabies.org.
5: Hello, my name is Marjorie Wildcraft. I'm the founder of the Grow Network, which is an online community of people who produce their own food and medicine. We are really into backyard self-reliance. If you want this lifestyle, I suggest your first step be to learn some basic home medicine. Just the other day, my 18-year-old son came to me and said, Mama, I got a sore throat. Can you fix me up? And I said, sure, Ryan. And in about 24 hours, he was better. The best home medicine for you to start out with is garlic. It's an amazing natural antibiotic, and I can show you how to use garlic to handle ear infections, sore throats, colds, and flus. As a way for you to get to know a little bit more about me and the Grow Network, I've written up an easy introduction on how to use garlic. It's at GCNWellness.com. Now, the station manager told me that I needed to say the URL at least twice, even though it feels kind of weird. But if you're interested in backyard self-reliance, you are one of us. Go to www.gcnwellness.com and let's connect up.
0: we'd like to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the Paracast send it to news at theparacast.com that's news at theparacast.com and don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com
1: I'm going to stop and think for a couple of minutes and then tell you that we have a second show called After the Paracast it's available if you subscribe to the PowerCast Plus, go to plus.thepowercast.com, plus.thepowercast.com. We also supply a version of this show with better audio free of the network ads in response to people on YouTube who say, where are those those ads? Got to get rid of those ads. Well, that's your choice. You want to subscribe, plus.thepowercast.com. By the way, we're also offered through CastBox PowerCast Plus. So if you decide that's a better way to do it. That's the option you have. But so far, they just offer monthly subscriptions. They don't give you annuals and five years and all that other good stuff. So just want to let you know about that alternative. Red Pill Junkie is here as the guest co-host is Jay Randall Murphy. Chris O'Brien is waiting for his internet to arrive. And I think the internet is driving a horse-drawn carriage from California. <laughs> and he'll be there in about 12 years. So if and when he gets here, and I know Chris had that same problem when he moved to a place in Cottonwood, Arizona, not far back, where it just took forever for the internet to follow him. Maybe there's something there. He's generating a vibe. No internet. That's it. I'm seeing here that since we have this crazy news of the Pentagon UFO study and everything, I don't hear much from the disclosure lobbyists. Do you?
4: Oh, Cameron did an interview, where he was talking about it, but pretty much all the same stuff that he usually talks about.
1: Well, we saw how that worked out. And by the way, one other thing I noticed is that the number of investments for the two the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences it's not grown at all in quite some time.
2: Yeah, yeah. From that point of view, it was a complete failure. You know, after all these months, they haven't. Cross the three million mark
4: well they need to cough up the rest of the videos that have the crystal clear images and uh, all of this stuff to go along with it i think before more people are going to take it seriously enough to put anything into that
2: well yeah also the fact that those videos you know first of all they, apparently they have been around on the internet before the to the stars launch right it's just that now that they were you know had a new kind of endorsement but they didn't have the actual official endorsement from the pentagon like they were saying we didn't release those videos we don't know how they got online so apparently they were either retrieved by alisondo you know Luis alisondo back when he was still at the desk of that uh, pentagon threat assessment program i don't remember the acronym
1: Believe but, me, you don't have to.
2: Yeah, but it's not really the slam dunk that they actually needed or they actually promised, you know?
4: Yeah, it's just a taste. And they've, they have said that they've got this other stuff, but let's see it then. Just keeping it uh, under wraps. I mean, what is it? it? Either they have it or they don't have
1: it. So which yeah. is it? And this is the problem we all run into in the UFO field all the time. Someone has the bee's knees, all the evidence we'd ever want. Where is it? Sometimes you get a rough and ready sample, which can be anything. And that's it. It disappears. Will this group disappear after the flurry of publicity is gone? I mean, you don't hear about it much now. I think we've given them more publicity on this episode of the Paracast than they've had in weeks.
2: Well, George Knapp is still, you know, running stories about about it. I think that this week, he showed a clip in which he interviewed Luis Elizondo, and they discussed the, the, the issue of the metal alloys. And he also uh, quoted Hal Puthop with the idea that, yeah, what they discovered wasn't what they were expecting, and that the alloys almost looked as if they were, had been, you know, created. Layer after after layer, which to me kind of validates what Valet was think, saying, you know, about these uh, isotopes showing that the metals had been re-engineered at the molecular level, which makes me suspect even further that maybe at some point Valet was indeed part of Bigelow's initiative when he, they were, you know, putting together this uh, uh, contract for the Pentagon.
4: Yeah, I don't know that that necessarily means that we're dealing with any sort of alien artifact, though. I mean, right sure. now, our own science can layer individual molecules yeah, but it's incredibly with, like, with graphene. With, well, graphene, sure. they do it with graphene. It's not that expensive. One of the best examples is uh, the Bob White artifact. And people were saying much the same thing about that. It's a strange ratio of materials, and it's layered in very intricate ways that, that no normal device on the planet would be made of or used for. And some of the skeptics went digging around and and found out, uh, I'm convinced, what it actually is. And it's just a concretion of grinding materials from an industrial manufacturing plant that, uh, that comes off the machine and they have all kinds of different metals. And over time, it builds up like a stalagmite and then uh, he managed to get his hands on one. And of course it looks weird and it's going to have all the kinds of different materials in it that uh, you wouldn't expect because it's come from a machine that's been used to make all kinds of different things. So, but I mean, he's still going around and people still believe that that came from a flying saucer. I mean, you really need more than, than just a piece of metal.
2: Sure. Then again, you know, we know that the the phenomenon is self negating by nature. You know, it it operates through deception. You know, so yeah. so.
4: Here's a question for you: Have you got any kind of? Uh, and th- this this is really interesting because where we kind of left off with the active camouflage, and the seeming ability of the whatever the aliens or the alien craft, whatever it is, to be able to pick up on. The fact that they're being observed and adapt to being observed kind of implies that they can make themselves appear to be pretty much whatever they want to be when they want to, to do that. And if that's the case, it could explain a whole bunch of phenomena that we don't even think of as being associated with the UFO phenomena. It could be kind of like the gateway through to kind of a, a grand unification Theory. Have you got any ideas on that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, true. Totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, what what some people maybe interpreted as UFO appar- ghost apparitions, maybe just a way from the phenomenon to either shield itself or maybe to to appear itself in a specific manner in order to cause a desired effect or a desired expectation, you know, and at the same time, uh, I read about cases that were investigated by, you know, credited, you know, ufologists like Juan Jose Benitez in Spain of people who were chasing out, you know, the typical don't craft flying saucer. And then apparently the flying saucer, you know, transformed itself into a truck.
1: We got more to come. We're not selling trucks here, folks, by the way. all right. Retro Junkie, Gene Steinberg, J. Randall Murphy, you're in. The
4: Paracast.
15: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
23: One out of four people listening to my voice right now could die from heart disease. This could be your last year, and you don't even know it because you don't know the early warning signs. If you think you're safe because your cholesterol levels are normal, think again. Because studies show that 75% of heart attack patients also had normal cholesterol levels. Let me introduce you to Strauss Heart Drops, a world-famous heart and brain formula made in Canada. It's time-tested and will give you clinical results in 90 days or your money back. Learn more at signsofheartdisease.com. They are shipping free this month.
24: It's been said. Message and data rates may apply.
11: You don't follow the herd. You blaze your own trail. And you're as adventurous in the kitchen as you are in life. Whether it's paddleboard yoga or Peruvian steak, you're the first to try new things. So are we. We're Green Chef, the first USDA-certified organic meal kit delivery service. We offer delicious meal plans for seven different lifestyles, paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegetarian, vegan, carnivore, and omnivore. Want to be the first of your friends to try Green Chef? Discover our exclusive introductory deal by texting the keyword fun 6-543-543. We believe that cooking, just like life, should be all about experience and flavor. And by exploring dinner options with Green Chef, you'll try new recipes, techniques, and ingredients for bold new restaurant-level flavors. It's like enjoying a new cooking class, but in your own home. To experience this culinary adventure, text now and discover our exclusive introductory deal. Text fun 66 to 543543. That's FUN66-543-543.
17: This is Kurt Seven, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast.
1: So UFOs become trucks, trucks become UFOs. It's like you have this vintage car in the TV show Supergirl from the CW. Mm -hmm. And it turns out the Martian Manhunter, who is a shapeshifter, has a vehicle that's a shapeshifter and can be Mm -hmm. reshaped in its natural form, which is that of a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Of course, it also reminds me of the Men in Black movies, where the Black Cadillac could transform.
2: Are we talking about, you know, something like in the movie Transformers, you know, the, the robots that are...
1: Well, then, no, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the Men in Black movies. Sure.
4: Are we dealing with a molecular transformation, or are we dealing with an active camouflage? Like, say, in The Terminator... You had what was it the T4 or whatever was some sort of uh, nanomaterial that could could transform itself into different shapes literally at the molecular level type of thing you see that's so. what
1: actor Robert Patrick really looks like
2: <laughs>
1: but here we
2: are we're, we are trying to find still trying to find a materialistic explanation for it you know whereas I would like also to entertain other more, you know, unconventional ideas, you know, that these are some type of mental projection, a mental projection that I can actually have solidity or or mass, you know, and interact with our world, you know, maybe even leave some kind of mark on the ground, maybe even burn the grass. I don't know. I, what, I know What that,
4: mechanism would be responsible for that? Though? I
2: don't know. I mean, you're you're asking me to try to 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 explain away the the mechanisms for magic, you know, and and <laughs> it's kind of a tall order. But it's just a proposal,
4: you know. Yeah, I think that's getting into dangerous territory, though. Why?
2: They... There are people who are trying to to make that bridge between materialistic science and what we used to call magic and you know scientists like dean radin he is going to publish a book i think it's probably coming in the next few months that is that is titled real magic that he's almost coming out of the mystic closet and saying yeah what parapsychologists and scientists like myself have been measuring in the lab through Proper, you know, uh, laboratory and scientific conditions is what you know, mystics and shamans and psychics have been credited with doing for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. It's the thing. It's the same thing, just explained away under different terms. So, uh,
4: so if we're suggesting that somehow the mind has the power to psychically manifest material reality. Uh, I think more people would know about that because there's billions of people on the planet with minds probably a lot more powerful than than Well, mine. you know.
2: <laughs> you know. Billions of people manifested this pup that is running the White House and has a red cap that says make America great again.
16: <laughs> that
4: might actually explain it. <laughs> I'm not sure which which element of the American society uh, manifested I mean, that particular I feel that
2: the, yeah, I feel that everybody's capable of doing this, but not every, not everybody everybody's capable of controlling it. That maybe all of us are doing it in an in, in unconscious kind of way, but that we are only manifesting the worst aspect of our expectations of our of our you know fears. You know, maybe that's why we're n- now closer to no, nuclear Armageddon than we were when I was younger. You know, when I was just a child and watched the movie the day after, back in the 1980s, and it completely traumatized me. You know, and and and, and maybe that's why you know that we're we're having all these problems. You know, maybe maybe we are. I know that sounds new age it sounds kind of like the secret kind of like people are saying oh yeah if you manifest you can manifest your reality and if you and if you think about it you can have a mansion and you can have a, a mercedes benz whatever you want if you just project it or or, or think about it and and, and will it
4: it's yeah, not necessarily
2: that, what i'm saying
4: well, what are you saying then
2: it's difficult exactly. to say I, I feel that definitely Reality is kind of like consensual hallucination.
4: That would be our subjective reality, but what are you saying? No no, no, no
2: objective our, our, reality. I mean, think about it, Randall. The the human when you put someone on an MRI machine and you give them, you know, five milligrams of mushrooms or whatever, instead instead of seeing a decrease of, of brain activity, an increase of brain activity, you actually see a decrease, which Kind of suggests that the brain, instead of generating or, 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 you know, hallucinations when you are tripping, it's kind of like n- uh, numbing down. That the brain is kind of like filtering all this information that otherwise would overwhelm you, right?
4: Well, the brain is a neuro processor, so you know the the effects of psychedelics on the brain is pretty well understood not um, really I
2: mean, we're just starting to we're just having the tools to try to to understand it and even you know an MRI machine to see okay you know there you see there's an increase in activity well no I mean you're seeing an increase in blood flow but that doesn't mean that's necessarily an increase in activity and at the same time you know you're seeing the increase in activity but it's more difficult to try to determine the decrease the zones where there is a decrease in activity.
4: Okay, here's, here's the way I think about this. Tell me what you think about this. I'm the kind of person, like I say, critical thinking, if this is possible to manifest some sort of objectively real thing into our realm, s- using our mind, that has to suggest that there's a mechanism for the universe that is responsible for manifesting everything in the universe Mm -hmm. that's around us, Mm -hmm. not just ourselves. And that Mm -hmm. somehow, because we're connected to the universe by virtue of being in it, perhaps if this is something like, let's say, like a matrix where we started off with, maybe somehow certain people are able to tap into that operating system and give it an instruction set in a way that we're not really familiar with, but mm. our minds are like a supercomputer. So maybe if the universe is an even bigger supercomputer, there's a way for it to link up. And hypothetically, then it should be able to actually just do exactly that manifest mana from heaven or whatever. And our minds just have only the most limited ability to tap into that. But maybe perhaps when we invent AI and we get an intelligence that's a thousand times more intelligent than we are, it might be able to tap into that in that way and do all kinds of things that are miraculous. And so this is a way that you might be able to explain it in a rational way instead of uh, appealing just to magic. But we, serve- we
3: do
2: need, yeah, we do need to find that bridge, you know, with, between, you know, magical language and, and our, our way to rationalize things, you know. I mean, there's, there's, there's guys like St. Joseph of Cupertino. This, this is a Catholic saint who was credited to be able to levitate. Oh, the, the dude could fly. And apparently he wasn't the brightest bulb you know, in, 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 the chandelier, you know, he was kind of like dolt. maybe it was one of the reasons why he could fly. You know, he didn't understand what the law. Didn't was so,
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah, didn't know he
2: couldn't. So, yeah. Yeah. didn't he Kind of like the, in the, in the Looney Tunes, you know, cartoons when Wiley Coyote is still, you know, running in yeah. out of thin air until he realizes, oh, well, you know, I, I'm out of the reach. But anyway,
1: before we do the sure. anyway, we have one sure. more segment of Amazing chatter with the amazing Red Pill Junkie and the almost amazing J. Randall Murphy. He wishes he were more amazing. We'll have to get into that later. He has to get bitten by a spider. That's what does it. <laughs> with Gene Randall and <laughs> Miguel, you're in. The Paracast.
4: Yeah.
15: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today.
1: As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low cost plans put your sites on high performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer?
25: Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-667-9035. 800-667-9035. That's 800-667-9035.
7: Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNTelecare.com, a team of board-certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Within 15 minutes of registration, care your family can afford. Revolutionizing the healthcare industry, virtual consulting, providing diagnosis of non emergency medical issues by phone or secure video on computer or smart mobile devices. GCNTelecare.com. Virtual care anywhere.
18: This is Jacques Vallee. You're listening to the podcast. The gold standard of paranormal
1: radio. Final segment with Red Pill Junkie and our guest co-host, Jay Randall Murphy. I do have a second show. You didn't realize that. Actually, it's a third show because the second show is after the cast. But if you're interested in personal technology, the Tech Night Owl Live, which I've been doing here for about 3,000 years. No, it's something like 15 years.
4: All the way back to the abacus, eh, Gene?
1: Yeah, as a matter of fact, we used to use that as a timer an abacus. We couldn't use a digital clock. That's how we do it with Tech Night Out Live. And then we open the windows, everybody on the show, and we yell real loudly. And that's how people hear the show. 15 years. And with this episode, by the way, we complete 12 years of the PowerCast.
4: Wow. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: I think about it. Haven't missed an episode. This week I came close because I came down with a bit of a flu, which is weird because I was taking an antibiotic for an infection, which it had to take like 10 days, even if you've been cured of it. And then after 10 days I stop. And then within a couple of days I got the flu. Explain that. That's how
4: that works. The the antibiotics kill off your immune system so that you're more vulnerable to all the bugs. So as soon as you quit taking it, then you start getting every disease you've had since you
1: were five years old all over again. By the way, we got a, one question for RPJ in the forums. Randall, if you want to look that up. Yeah, I had the page and and I moved it. So let me...
2: Yeah, I just wanted to finish up with that Joseph Cupertino thing that... Go ahead. According to Diana Walsh Pasulka in her upcoming book, uh, American Cosmic, There are people in both the military and the private sector who do look into these ancient stories of levitating monks and bilocating nuns very seriously. They try to see if they can use that or they can actually find a way to, to, to exploit those kind of abilities.
4: You found it, Randall? Yes, I have. And it's from Marduk. And he asks, RPJ, what kind of feedback have you gotten from your contribution to reframing the debate? And what did you learn from the experience? And where are you at now in your thinking?
2: Okay, so the feedback that we got from reframing the debate, not just me, but everybody who contributed to, it, to the anthology, was kind of like a mixed pack, which was to be expected. Some people highly praised it some people hated it. some people said that we weren't really saying anything new. some people said that we actually were you know uh, giving uh, a bit of fresh air to 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 the stale state of ufology and I think that you know the reality is that you know there was a bit of all of that you know I, I, I feel that, on overall, the response was positive from the few people who actually you know bothered to purchase the book because this is definitely not ufology 101. you know this is kind of like uh, an advanced course or for people who have been interested in the subject for more than a few years. you know this is not this wouldn't be the first book that you will pick from the bookstore. You know, if you, you start to have an interest in the subject, that's okay. What I yeah, learned from, it, from yeah. it is that, okay, yeah, you know, I can actually write an essay in a book, you know, something that five years ago I've, I wouldn't have dared to do. And from there, you know, whether I can actually go and, and, and write the whole book by myself, Maybe it's just a small step that I'm still considering. Where I'm at with my way of thinking, well, doesn't hasn't hasn't changed that much. Obviously, I'm digesting the thing, the new things that appear on on the field, the the long thing and and the valet thing and and other things. And I'm also listening to voices. That Are outside of of, of the UFO field that, which I think is maybe maybe even more important. We just discussed uh, Paul Stamens, who is a, a mycologist and a fascinating individual. There's there is an interview on the Joe Rogan Experience, which I highly recommend. There is an also another individual, uh, Doctor Bruce Damer, or Damer. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I guess it's Damer and he's canadian but he's um, living in the united states and he's involved in in shaping up and designing nasa space missions and how to manage how to retrieve asteroids and even you know he's publishing papers about trying to explain the origin of life in this planet and he seems to be something of a mystic you know i mean because he comes up with these all these uh, mental models, not not through hard work, you know, but m- more like a visionary experience, almo- almost like what Nikola Tesla is credited with doing. You know, Nikola Tesla was able to envision all of his inbe- inventions in his own mind, with all his the moving parts, and you know, put those machines uh, starting them up, them up and seeing how they will work under a given amount of time. And that's, you know, something that I don't think can be explained away just like, yeah, well, you know, the brain is a wonderful thing. I think that maybe these guys are able to tap in into a different channel of information.
4: Interesting. Yeah, well, the brain is an amazing thing. I mean, think about (laughs) just, just think how you dream. You can dream in full technicolor things you've never even imagined before. Perfectly moving, perfectly functional in very, very, very vivid detail. And that's Mm -hmm. obviously coming out of your brain. So it's certainly possible that if a person has the right sort of talent for it, that they could visualize very complex things.
2: But How complex? I mean, this guy is is credited to be able to envision a whole spacecraft up to the last rivet and cable.
4: Yeah, I imagine he'd probably be envisioning it in sections that he could sort of zoom in on with his mind. You know, once you have got one section down, then you can move on to the next section, and there's only a limited number of parts. So over time, if you've got that kind of of a mind, I could see how it could be possible.
2: And He also says that he was able to see or reimagine his conception or his birth and how when he was, you know, he was adopted. And when he lost the love connection between himself and his parents, you know, it was severed when they decided to give him up for adoption.
4: Yeah. So we had the, you know, the classical musicians, they could envision and hear entire symphonies in their mind and write it out. So, yeah, yeah, the, the mind is an amazing thing. And I think you're onto something with that, Miguel. So,
1: Red Pill Junkie, if people want to find out more of the things you do, Is there a site or two they can check out?
2: Sure. You know, there's the the Daily Grail where I'm still contributing. It's, you know, I I still consider it my main home on the internet www.dailygrail.com. I also contribute semi regularly on Mysterious Universe, MysteriousUniverse.org. I'm also a, a frequent guest on podcasts like Where Did the Road Go? You know, the round tables that Soraya organizes. And I also have my own website, absurdbydesign.com, which is kind of like the place in which I put some of the things that I come up with that, you know, has no other place in which I can put them on, and including, you know, designs that I create for T-shirts that I'm trying to sell on the online Zazzle store, you know. If you are into trying to get cool T-shirts about Mothman and aliens and Sasquatch, you know, you know, you might want to check them out.
1: He also helped design, in fact, did all the design for the official Paracast channel on YouTube, for which we are highly grateful. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Twitter. If you look for the Paracast, we have two official... Powercast fan clubs on Facebook. We also have after the Powercast and a version of the show free of the network ads. If you subscribe to the Powercast Plus, for more information, go to plus.thepowercast.com. Plus.thepowercast.com. Jay Randall Murphy, thanks for pinching in here as our guest co-host.
4: That was a pleasure. It's uh, always good to be on the show, and it's uh, went by just in a
1: flash. And of course, Red Pill Junkie, thank you for being a terrific guest as always.
4: Yeah,
2: this was a delightful conversation, you guys. Thank you.
0: The Paracast.